If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And as you're doing so, uh, the pressure is on tonight. Last week's initial lesson was an excellent lesson, well presented. And I want to commend our two brothers for the lesson they presented. But they also did so in a very expedient manner, and that means that time is limited, and I need to have you out here at six thir- uh, 7.30 rather than 7.45. So uh, the pressure is on. Before we read Hebrews chapter 11, let's pray together. God in heaven, thank you so very much for the opportunity to stand before you this evening, before my brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a privilege, but Father, it's also a responsibility. I pray, Father, that you will give me words that represent your will and your message. May it always be your message, Father, and may we only carry that message forth and and share it with each other. May something be said tonight that encourages, gives us hope, and Father, draws us ever closer to you. Most of all, Father, may we glorify you. It's in her son's name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the the Heroes Hall of Fame. And as you begin reading that first verse in chapter 11, it says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For our ancestors won God's approval by it. And then it goes on to talk about those who rose to the occasion to bring God's glory by trusting and living in him by faith. Now, if you will, let's scroll on down just a little bit to verse 7, where it says, By faith Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen, and motivated by a godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Not too many people made this list, yet Noah is one of those. And what is interesting is that as we go back and look at Scripture and where it reveals some insights to Noah and his life and his his walk of faith with God, um, there's a significant amount of information given to us. In fact, if you look at the, the Genesis There's four chapters given to Noah. And that's rather significant. If you go back and look at what preceded Noah being introduced to us in the book of Genesis, we have generation after generation after generation that is mentioned. Now, if you will, turn with me to the book of Genesis. And we'll start in chapter 5. Those of you who've uh, heard me present lessons before know that I don't often start where I'm supposed to. I kind of have to get a running start to it, so bear with me tonight. As we go back and we look at what's transpiring in the book of Genesis, there's five chapters that are are completed before we're introduced to, to Noah. But there's many, many years represented in those five chapters. We have the creation And then we have generation after generation after generation listed. And notice what we read about beginning in Genesis chapter 5. These are the family records of the descendants of Adam. 
And then we go on down. It says, Adam was 130 years old, and he fathered a son. Then we go down a little further. It says, Seth was 105 years old when he fathered Enosh. Enosh was 90 years old when he fathered Kenan. Kenan was 70 years old when he fathered Mahekiel. Mahael was 65 years old when he fathered Jared. And Jared was 162 years old when he fathered Enoch. Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. Methuselah was 187 years old when he fathered Lamech. Lamech was 182 years old when he fathered a son, and he named him Noah. Notice there's repetition there. There is a literary device that is presented here that says man was lived, and he gave birth, or he sired a son. He had a son. And what we're having presented to us here is a very special lineage of individuals. Individuals that, as you and I have the opportunity to look back, is the lineage of Jesus Christ. And it's very important that God provides us with a, a, a little opening into what his plan has always been. And that's always been for us to live in relationship with him. And as we have broken that relationship, he's worked very diligently to present to us how we can renew that relationship with him through his acts of mercy through Jesus Christ and how painstakingly he worked to prepare the way for the Messiah. But notice there's something else that is revealed here. As we go back and look at that listing again, it says Adam lived 130 years old and he followed his son. But notice what happens a little bit later. Adam lived 800 years, and after the birth of Seth, he followed the other sons and daughters. So Adam's life lasted 930 years, then he died. Seth, his life lasted 912 years, then he died. Enosh, his life lasted 905 years, then he died. Kenan, 910 years and died. Mahalio, 895 years and he died. Jared, 962 years and he died. Enoch, well, Enoch is one of two exceptions. God took him and he did not experience death. But then Methuselah, his son, lived 969 years, died. Lamech lived uh, 595 years after the birth of Noah for a total of 777 years, and he died. Then we come to Noah. Something is happening here that was not part of creation. And it's very important that we don't overlook this because everything hinges about around this. You see, death was never supposed to be a part of our experiences. We say it's once for man to, to be born and then to die. No. It's time, there's a time for man to be born, but there's not a time for mankind to die. We were created to live for eternity in the presence of God Almighty. But because Adam and Eve and you and I have chosen to live lives away from God, death reigns it wasn't supposed to be but now it does death not only spiritually 
but also physically. Every one of us has experienced a loved one who has gone through health issues many times and they've, got, they've become so critical that they expired. And now we're separated from them. God did not create his world to suffer such consequences, but we chose them. Now, we see something else happening as we continue to read in the book of Genesis. And if you go on down to chapter 6, it tells us a little bit about the condition of mankind. It says, when mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful and they took them and chose them as wives for themselves. And God, the Lord said, my spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupted. And as we continue to read, we see on further down in chapter chapter, uh, 6, verse 5, when the Lord saw that mankind's wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every scheme of his mind thought of nothing but evil at the time, the Lord regretted that he had made mankind and placed him on the earth. Sin is not an action. Sin is not a series of actions. Sin is a condition. And what has happened by this point in time, as briefly as it is from the creation until this point, Mankind had turned so far away from God that his thoughts were not ever even directed toward God and his will, but only on his own will. And people, that is sin. You and I, we do things that are sinful. Those are actions. But what we're talking about here is a people who have become so corrupted so alienated away from God that their whole lives were nothing but a series of activities that did nothing but frustrate the will of God. Then we read something remarkable. Go on down with me and it says, a little bit later in the chapter, Noah however, found favor in the sight of the Lord. Mark that in your Bibles. Don't forget this passage. This is one of the key passages in all of Scripture. You see, what we're being told here is not that Noah was such a good person, God favored him. We're told that God had shown his favor or looked upon Noah favorably. God chose Noah. Noah did not choose God. And that's very important because God has chosen you and you and you and me. God has chosen all of mankind. But what we read about in the following verses after, after that statement is that Noah, in contrast to his contemporaries, 
recognize God's favor, and live to please God. That's what we're about, is it not? God chose us, and by His Son, Jesus Christ, we have been redeemed. We have been reconciled. We've been placed back in relationship with God, a relationship that wouldn't exist if God had not placed His favor upon us and sent His Son to die for us that we might live in relationship with Him if we choose. And that's what we choose, is it not? Amen? Okay. Noah was one of those individuals who chose to live in relationship with God. And it all starts right here in Genesis chapter 6. Said another way, this is the first place in Scripture that it talks about God's grace. It is the first time that God says, I look favorably upon mankind. And from this time forward, we continue to read how God continually looks upon those of us in this world and he places his favor upon us. The book of Genesis is filled with character after character after character who was found to be in God's favor. Some of them were scoundrels, but God chose them and ultimately they worked hand in glove with God. Now we come to the flood scene. The story that you and I heard about as young children. I had uh, one uh, individual tell me this is one of their favorite stories in all the Bible. And there's a reason for that. It's got action. It's got narrative. It's got all the components of a great story. But it's more than a story. You see, if it had not been for this particular episode in our history, you and I would not be here tonight. Because what did God say just prior to that? He regretted making all of mankind. He was going to remove mankind and all the animals and all that walked on the earth from the earth. He's going to totally destroy it. And if that had happened, we wouldn't be here tonight, would we? But because God favored Noah, we have this great epic story. By the way, this great epic story is found in many, many cultures in various forms, various twists and turns, but there always seems to be in most of the situations, uh, most of the, of the civilizations that we know their history, they have some story about a man like Noah. So something very significant truly must have happened for all the people of the earth to hold on to this story or something, some semblance of the story. Now, as you go through and you read those chapters, you read the, the various events that transpired, and it's written very efficiently, very quickly moving through, through a, a just a very few verses for all that actually transpired. But we see Moses, uh, Noah living his life on a daily basis, trusting in God. He put his faith in God. He put his trust in God. And that's remarkable. Because it seems that all of his contemporaries either had forgotten about God or never knew about God. Remarkable. But that's what happened. We'll see something very similar with Abraham next week. Why did Abraham believe in Yahweh? Why did he believe in the Lord? Why did he believe in God Almighty? 
because everyone around him believed in other gods. Why him? But that's what we see with Noah. And so we go through and we read this story and we see all the things that happened. Noah put all of his trust into a God that he'd probably never seen and one that all his contemporaries did not believe in. Now go back and read that story again tonight when you go home. It won't take very long. It's very few verses. It won't take very long to read it. And think about all that Noah went through to prepare the way of salvation for his family. And as we do so, remember that it had never rained before. This God who spoke to Noah and issued him a directive which Noah accepted was a God that none of his contemporaries believed in. He told him to build a huge vessel hundreds of miles away from a large body of water because it was going to rain. And up until the flood, the earth was watered by a mist or a steam, not by rain. Think about the tremendous amount of trust Noah placed into this God that no one else believed in or even gave any thought to. Notice how he must have been ridiculed by those around him. There's old crazy Noah out there building some big, big building for some reason, and he, he talks about a flood. What's that? But he was right because God lived up to what he said was going to happen, and it did transpire. So he goes through. He lives faithfully all those years before God. He saves himself. He saves his family because of his obedience and trust in God and by God's grace. And then we read about him in Hebrews chapter 11. But something happens. If you will, turn with me in the book of Genesis, if I can get back to it. And let's go to chapter 9. God has has made a covenant with Noah. He provided us with a reminder that we look to each time it rains and look for each time it rains, and that's a rainbow. As a marker that God will never destroy the world and all of mankind and all creation by floodwaters again. Noah is told to go out repopulate the earth, subdue it. Things are a little bit different now because now he's told to eat the animals that he had protected, that he had saved. Um, It seems that man was probably vegetarian up until this point. And so now we have man becoming a meat eater. And God gave the sign of the rainbow as a reminder for all ages of what God had done to preserve one righteous man. But go on down with me and notice in verse 20, Noah, a man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank some wine 
and he became drunk, and he uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a cloak and placed it over their shoulders, and they walked backward. They covered their father's nakedness, and their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from drinking, his drinking, and learned what the youngest son had done, he said, Canaan will be cursed. He will be the lowest of slaves of his brothers. He also said, Praise the Lord, the God of Shem. Canaan will be his slave. God will extend Japheth, and he will dwell in the tents of Shem. Canaan will be his slaves. Then Noah lived 350 more years, and at 950 years, he died. A life well lived. A man who lives so remarkably that he is listed in Hebrews chapter 11. But in the twilight years of his life, Noah does something that just surprises all around him. He becomes so intoxicated that he falls down drunk without his clothing in his tent. And his youngest son finds him and goes and tells his brothers. What seems to be the case here is he went to his older brother and said, you ought to see the old man. He's made a complete fool of himself. Look what he's done. He shows total disrespect for his aged father. With all sin and the actions that lead us into a sinful condition, there are consequences. And as we read these verses and then we look at what's revealed to us in the remainder of Scripture, we see there were tremendous consequences that impacted everyone from that day forward, even to us today. Because Canaan and his descendants were cursed. And when Moses takes the people, God's chosen people, into the promised land, who are they fighting against? The Canaanites. The descendants of the Canaanites. And they become the slaves of God's people at various times throughout history. Those consequences ring loudly even today as we see the tensions in the Middle East. We'll see something very similar to that happening with Abraham and Sarah and some choices they made. Those consequences ring loudly on our news broadcast each and every day. Sinful actions, sinful lives, choice of living in a life of sin causes consequences. But one thing that we do know from this story of Noah, those consequences are not necessarily fatal. You see, they're not fatal because God has placed his favor on you and me. It's not because you and I have lived such great and powerful lives. It's because God has chosen to place his favor on us. That is something we call grace. By the grace of God, you and I sit here tonight and we read of Noah and we can be reassured that God's word, 
that he has placed his favor on us is true and unshakable and something we can count on and something we can in turn live to please him and our gratitude for the favor we've received. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ, the descendant of Noah, that you and I enjoy salvation. And that salvation is not in the future. That salvation is today and the future. We live in a relationship with God where we can approach him. We can talk to him. We can open his word and we can listen to him. We can share the the happiness of being in his favor with one another and those who currently are living outside his favor, but God has invited. You see, God has invited all mankind. But like Noah's generation and those who preceded him, they chose not. But you've chosen to. To God be glory. And thank you, God, for recording the life of Noah so that we know that a life lived trusting you and obeying you is one that is for the record books to glorify you. But also where we stumble and where we fall, even though there's consequences, it's not fatal. Let's pray together. Dear God in heaven, thank you so very much for allowing us to come together tonight to open your word, to hear your message, breathe through us through those words. I pray, Father, that that message has been recounted accurately. And we pray, Father, that we can take hold of it and we can make it a very center part of our being so that we might be closer to you and live to your glory. To you always, glory, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.